welcome to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And our student ministries exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Our whole goal is to come alongside parents and helping their kids follow Jesus Christ. And so what you're about to listen to is a sermon that was preached on our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30. And as you listen, I pray that you are encouraged and that you would be conformed more and more to the image of Jesus Christ as we behold Him in His glory. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. It's good to be here again tonight with each of you. I heard a, I heard a yeah, I believe it. Um, it's a privilege to come to Wednesday night. I hope you guys recognize that. I didn't come to Redeemer until I was a senior in high school in January. So I had about five months as a student. Um, it was something that I wish I would have had more of. So count your blessings. Um, recognize it is a privilege to be here. The Lord's word is powerful. And uh, as we study it tonight, I pray that it would uh, move you. It would provoke your heart. It would help you recognize the sin in your life and ultimately lead you to Jesus. So um, let's begin by asking the Lord to bless our study. Lord, you're so kind to bring us here tonight. And we recognize that whatever circumstances happen today, Whatever trials came, whatever sorrows came, whatever joys came, Lord, you have ordained to bring every single student in this room here tonight. And Lord, as we look at your holy inspired word, I pray that it would open our eyes, that you would open our eyes as we read and study it, Lord, and that you would receive glory for your work in our hearts. God, you are worthy of all praise and honor. Help us to bring that to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, if you're just joining us, we've been studying through the book of Ephesians, and we've been started. We started in September, and now we are in May. So it's been a long time. We've been working through small sections, a few verses, a passage at a time, to try and absorb as much as possible the content that is held within it. And even so, I still find myself coming up tonight and wishing that I could talk more about this passage. We're going to be looking at Ephesians uh, 6, 1 through 9. And I think I should say, it. though we refer to Ephesians as a book, though we call it a book, it is a book in the New Testament, um, that can, that's kind of a, a false name. It can kind of give a misleading idea of what this actually was, how it was written, who it was delivered to um, is that it wasn't actually just supposed to be a book. It was supposed to be a letter. And this letter was written by the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, and sent to a church. And it was the church of Ephesus. And so upon receiving the letter, they were to read it in the entire congregation in one sitting. So all of the things that we've been studying for the last eight months now are a culmination. They're building upon each other because... The initial intent was that it should all be read in one sitting. So it's important that we take a moment and we reflect on what is happening in this book. This letter was not just delivered to the senior pastor and a select group of elders. It was meant to be read to the entire church. And the congregation that would have been hearing this letter would be including all kinds of people. There would be rich people. There would be poor people. 
There would be blue-collar workers. There would be white-collar workers. They didn't really have offices back then. There would be husbands and wives. There would be slaves and masters. There would be children and parents. We must reflect on the content within the first five chapters of Ephesians in order to have a proper understanding of our passage. And the beautiful thing that we're going to see, that we have seen, that in the gospel we can be united with people who are completely unlike us. People in very different circumstances of life as we are. And that the union that we experience in Jesus surpasses all of the other defining characteristics that we have. All of the other things about us that describe us are all under the heading of being one in Jesus, being one in Christ. Do you know that the closest bond you can share with any single person on this world is being joined to them through Jesus? When you put your trust in Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, you are grafted into, you are adopted into the family of God. You become a child of God, a brother, a sister of the Son of God, and your adoption is permanent into this family. That is a joy. The Lord who has called you will never send you away. John 6.37 says that all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes, here's the good news, I will never cast out. Your status and relationship to God will not and cannot be changed if you are in Christ. And this is because your status in God's eyes is not based on how good of a job you are doing. It is based on... On the finished work of Jesus. So if then you are inseparably bonded to Christ. And so is the sibling in Christ who is sitting next to you right now. They are joined the same way to Jesus. Then you share a mutual bond that surpasses anything in this world. But when we think about this and we, we reconcile and try, and try and see how we are doing on this in our lives. It is easy to see we fall short of displaying this union. I was even convicted of this in my own life as I was studying this passage. How quickly do I move towards people who are very like me, who share similar passions or interests, hobbies, maybe line of work, sports, theater, you name it. Maybe the people that are in my same class. I'm going to move towards those people because it's natural. It's easy, right? But that is how the world makes friendships, That is not how the Christian is called to make friendships because we are called to first be joined to one another in Jesus. Remember frequently, student, your union with Jesus and let that propel you, let it move you to loving people who are very unlike you. If your friend group only contains people that are similar in every way, whether that be in dress, whether that be in favorite music, whether that be in favorite interests, in hobbies, ask that the Lord would introduce more people into your group that are unlike you in those ways. Ask that God would open your eyes, that he would give you the same love for that person who is opposite to you that you have for the person who's just like you. Know that this is what it will be like in heaven. Ever think about that? The Lord says that he will save from every tribe, tongue, nation. There will be all kinds of people in heaven. And when you, Christian, display the same love for believers who are completely opposite of you in every other regard, 
you showcase that same glory to the Lord that we will all participate with in heaven. When we recognize this, we can show God honor by learning to respect and even to like those who are unlike us. Our Lord is a kind Lord. He is gracious and he is tender towards his people. And when we trust in Jesus as our Savior, we are accepting him as our master. No longer will we rule our own lives based on our preferences, but instead we will submit to him. We are committing ourselves to a life of glad service to the one who saves us. And when we understand this, it gives us the ability It gives us the desire, the motivation to submit to others, even if they're undeserving of it. My title tonight is Honoring Your Master. Honoring Your Master. And we will spend our time learning what this practically looks like. Honoring Your Master. Please stand with me as we read God's Word tonight. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. That it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants. Of Christ, doing the will of God. How? From the heart. Rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone has done, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or he is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no partiality within him. This is God's word. You may be seated. So my title, Honoring Your Master, we've got two points tonight. We've just got two points. The first one, obey your parents. What does it look like to honor your master? Point number one, obey your parents. Reading in verse one, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Do you notice that the prerequisite to obedience, the condition that our obedience is based off of, isn't whether or not our parents are correct. Do you see that? It doesn't say, children, obey your parents if they're right. It says, this is right. Do many of you have godly and loving parents who care about you and genuinely want the best for your lives? Yes, many of you do. And we praise God for that. This provides us a good reason to honor our parents, to obey them. If they know what's best for us, we're wise to submit to them. But what if we have parents who are unbelievers? What if we have parents who aren't kind towards us, but instead they're rude and they're selfish and they're sinful? What if mom and dad really doesn't know better than us? Aren't we best off following the truth? How do you reconcile following what you truly believe to be the best advice and plan with a plan that comes from your parents that's not as good? What happens if this plan that you have is even shaped and formed by the word of God and a love for God, and it's conflicting with the plan of your parents? What do you do then? What do you do then? 
Well, keep your thumb in Ephesians chapter 6, but turn your Bibles with me really quick to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We don't have much time to spend studying this, but we're going to go through it briefly. Luke chapter 2, uh, looking at verse 41 and following. As a 12-year-old boy, here's what's happening in this story. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus heads down to the city of Jerusalem. It's about a 70-mile walk from his home city of Nazareth. And Jesus heads with his family to celebrate the Passover celebration. When the feast was over, everyone packs their belongings and they head home. This is what it says in verse 43. But Jesus, the boy Jesus, stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents did not know it. Even after the first day of walking on a three-day walking journey, they don't recognize that their boy is not with him. (laughs) But they realize at the end of the day and they say, we need to go search for Jesus. They went and they looked for him high and low. Verse 46 tells us this. They found him sitting among the teachers in the temple, listening to them and asking them questions. So how did the earthly parents of the Son of God respond to finding their young boy in the temple, the house of God? Not perfectly. Verse 48, it says, His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in very great distress. They're upset with him. And Jesus responds by telling them that he'll naturally be in the place that's home to him, his father's house. Verse 50 says that they don't understand why he even says this. And here's what I want you to see. Listen to how Jesus responds to his parents' silly question and their second class plan for him. What does Jesus do? He came down, he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. Even the sinless son of God recognized that the most honorable thing that he could do was not to plan his day perfectly, even though he had perfect knowledge, but it was to obey his parents. Obey your parents for this is right. Seniors, I want to specifically address you for a moment as we come to the close of the school year, the close of your career in Redeemer students. I remember not too long ago sitting in your seat, thinking about my future, but the freedom that would come to me when I graduated high school. i just become a member of Redeemer. I was quickly seeing that there was much more to the Christian life than I had previously experienced. I grew in knowledge, and I began seeing discrepancies between some of the understandings that I had been raised in And what God's word was truly saying. I was even beginning to learn answers to questions and develop categories in my mind that my parents didn't even understand. And this is good. This is a blessing of the Lord. It's good to learn deep truths about God. Deep truths motivate a deep love for God. But if there was one thing that I'm looking back on that I had regret over being a senior in high school... I wish I had obeyed my parents better. It's a glorious and an honorable thing, something that God even promises to bless. That's what our passage says, is that this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you, that you may live long in the land. God has stamped his approval on following this commandment. He knows your needs better than you do, and he persistently calls us to obey our parents. When Paul gives us this command, he knows that he is not restricting joy 
in our lives. Something we can feel when our parents say, you need to be home at such and such a time. You need to not hang out with these friends. You need to make sure you clean your room and do your chores. Oftentimes it feels like a restrictor. It feels like our lives are being choked out by our parents. But this command is a facilitator of joy. It creates joy when we obey our parents and listen to them because it honors God. There's a reason that this is the first command with a promise. That this is living according to God's design and it brings great honor to him. I also love the next verse. Verse 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. If we first read it, it might seem like it's just a piece of advice to help our parents, right? But when we look at this text, we recognize that it's encouragement to us as children. When our parents discipline us, when they teach us, when they make us do devotions or family worship, even when it's inconvenient around the dinner table, it can happen. It is evidence not of their hatred or their discomfort with us. It's an evidence of their love for us because they care for us to press through uncomfortability, awkwardness, inconvenience, and to train you in the way of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11 says this, For the moment, all discipline, which is the same word as verse 4, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Discipline is usually not very fun. <laughs> but it later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. When we obey our parents, this yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness in your home and in your heart. Student, if your parent is really coming down in your home, if you just feel like their commands are constant, you can't ever do enough to please them. You can bring much honor to God, to your master, by submitting to their words with a glad heart. This will yield the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So why is it so important that I learn to obey my parents? Why is it so important that I get this down? Believer, why should you fight so hard to put to death the sinful tendency toward rebellion that you feel, that I feel, even as an adult child. I still feel this too. Why must we seek to put this to death? First, because it's right. That's what verse 1 says. But secondly, it's because this is something that you will benefit from your entire life. Learning to understand and respect your parents will be helpful throughout your life. Author and theologian Tim Keller just recently passed away. I'm so thankful for that man's contribution. I know many of you can agree with me. He has built my faith in a lot of ways. The Lord has used him to bring many people to the faith. He says this, It's respect for parents that is the basis for every other kind of respect and every other kind of authority. Ground level, foundation, ground zero is respecting parents, obeying parents. And when we get this right, it sets us clear ahead. It gives us a fast track to understanding, to submitting to authority in every other kind of our lives. Cultivating a respect for mom and dad is a firm foundation for a life that honors God. This is the groundwork for learning how to obey our heavenly master. So what's another way? What's another way that we're called to obey our master? Point number two, serve your bosses. Serve your bosses. If we look back at verse 
5, moving on, it says this. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters. And though I would love to spend a lot of time unpacking what this means and all the nuances in, we don't necessarily have time for that. You can ask your small group leader. But I want to do a 30,000, well, maybe a 10,000 foot view, a little closer. A bond servant is someone who has incurred some form of debt financially. They owe someone money. And in order to pay off this money that they don't have, they would submit themselves to a master. And they would say, I will work for you for this long to pay off my debt. The pattern that this comes from is in Deuteronomy chapter 15, which prescribes a six-year term of service. So most of these bond servants would have been selling away six years of their life, which is the time between your sixth grade year and your senior year. <laughs> That's a lot of life. That's a long time. A bond servant was very low on the social totem pole. They submitted all of their rights to their master. And they did whatever their master told them to do. They would fill any role at home, in the field, or abroad that their master required of them. When a person became a bondservant, they were forfeiting their free will. They were giving it up because they owed a debt. So not a, this would have been a very humiliating commitment. Because it's basically saying, all of my opinions and preferences and desires, I'm throwing them out the window. Because I have to. It's really hard. But I am submitting them to my master. Now, in hearing this, can you think of one problem that might arise for a bondservant? Something that they might fall into that is not good in their work. If you were selling the next 2,000 days of your life to someone else, and the only thing that you were selling was your time, your use, wouldn't it be really hard to serve with a good attitude? Wouldn't it be really hard to commit to serving well? You know, the first day you're out in the stalls, scooping up poop, throwing it away. You're like, man, I can't wait for another 1,999 days of this, right? Like that would be a hard existence. The focus in your mind would instinctively drift from, okay, what is excellent? What does excellent work look like to what's good enough? What's good enough? What can, what can get me by? What can count as a day, right? As I earn off my debt. Well, what's Paul's exhortation of this group of people? He says this in verse 6. Obey your earthly masters. Excuse me. I'm going to start in verse 5. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would who? Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants to Jesus, doing the will of God from your heart. Meaning, do not just obey because you have an external obligation to. Do not obey them in a way that looks like you're doing a good job, but you're actually cutting corners. This one's even harder. Don't just obey them unwillingly. Obey them with a glad heart, rendering service with a good will, is what it says in verse 7, as to the Lord and not to man. And that's the key here, is that when we submit, when a bondservant would submit to their master, Paul is exhorting them, this person very low on the social totem pole, to say, do it with a good heart. Do it with a heart that loves to serve. I very highly doubt that any of you will ever become a bondservant. But essentially everyone in this room will become an employee one day 
A lot of you already are. And you honor God in your life when you serve your bosses. If a bondservant who is at the low, the low end, someone who has essentially zero rights, is called to obey their master with a glad heart, what more of us who are employees? What more of you, employee, who actually kind of enjoy your job, who maybe actually have a half-decent boss? Maybe you really like your boss. Maybe you like the people that you work with, right? These are just stacking reason upon reason upon reason to work hard to honor the Lord. What about if you're eligible for a raise? A bondservant wasn't. He didn't get time off his sentence commuted. He signed it, and it was, it was done. That was it. But we can work hard because we're motivated by all these other external reasons. But we are reminded again that in this passage, we do not serve anyone for external reasons. I'd encourage you, this is something that the Lord's really provoked my heart in the last year. Is it's really easy to do a good job for your boss, desiring that your boss would see it and be proud of you. Or think, yeah, he's really doing a good job. She's really doing a great job on this. Right? That's a temptation we fall into, and we have to deny that. We have to turn to Jesus and say, Lord, forgive me for that. Help me to serve not unto men, but unto God. Not as a people pleaser, not by way of eye service, but because I love Jesus. It starts in the home, learning to obey and respect mom and dad, and then it moves to work. Learn to serve your boss, whether he's a good boss or he's a bad boss. Learn how to do your job with excellence when no one is watching. Test yourself in those moments, especially when no one is watching. Ask that the Lord would help you to do an excellent job. We really know that the Lord is always watching. It might feel like no one's there, but God is always seeing our work. And he even says in verse 8 that we know that whenever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he's a bondservant or free, whether he's a boss or an employee. The Lord's knowing this. He's watching this. And whatever good anyone does, this will, he will receive back from the Lord. One day, many of you will not only be employees, but you'll also be bosses yourself. You'll be a manager of someone. You'll be someone under your charge. Maybe you'll be a small group leader. There will be people beneath you that listen to your voice. And Paul has a word for them too. He says, do the same to them. That is those who are under you and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. You guys both serve the same master. You both work for the same Lord. You are all under the Lord's authority. Ultimately, if you aspire to become a boss one day, begin by striving to obey your parents. It's the foundation. When we obey our parents We are developing, we are building the character that will sustain us when we become a boss one day. First, we must submit to mom and dad. When you move up in a company, you often lose oversight. You lose accountability. You lose someone looking over your shoulder, making sure you're doing what you should be doing. And what we have to put in front of ourselves, if we're in this existence, if we're in this experience, is that every day our master is God. It's not man. It never was man. It never was a boss. Our ultimate master is God. They are under God. I am under God. Everyone's labor is in the sight of God. So, what do, what do I do if I haven't prepared well? 
What do I do if I haven't obeyed my parents? I haven't served my boss. Haven't done it well. Haven't honored my master in heaven. Like to end, let's get really practical. I have three things for you. Okay, three things. Just you just listen to these. First, repent. Ask God that he would forgive you of your sins and your failures and that you would place your trust in Jesus. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. You can't do it. It doesn't matter how good of a job you do at work. It doesn't matter how well you think you obey your parents. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. And though these are authorities that we have to submit to, that most of us will spend the rest of our life working as employees, right? We are always going to be under some form of master, but ultimately we remember that we are under the heavenly master who is kind and gracious and cares for us and knows our needs. We are commanded to serve with a good will as unto the Lord, not unto man, because it was never about serving man. It never was. Trust in Jesus. He is a good master. He's a good master. If you've already done this, think again on the kindness that he has shown you. Second, go home to your parents, grandparents, or guardians and ask for forgiveness. Tell them that you desire to obey and you want to see God work on your heart in this way. Invite them to exhort you in your weakness. Invite them to say, hey, you are in the wrong in this. And with that, ask that they would encourage you in your success when you do this well. Thank them for the times that they've disciplined you. That'll go a long way to a parent. Thankfulness for discipline. God says that it is a sign of love. So we can be thankful for it, even when it's hard. Third, for those of you who have one, find a moment to speak with your boss. If you notice an area of your work that is lackluster, ask for accountability. Express that you desire to serve them to the best of your ability. That is your heart. Ask if there are any specific ways that you can improve. They will likely be surprised at this conversation. And this is a great opportunity to share the gospel with them. This is a perfect opportunity that say, to say that you want to serve them because ultimately you serve Jesus. This is a great segue. Galatians 5.13 says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for your kind hand towards us, even when it comes in the form of pruning, pruning the sin from our hearts, pruning the bad branches, removing them. God, and I ask that you would open up the hearts of our students, of myself, God, of the leaders in this room tonight, Lord, that we would be convicted by our sin, we would recognize where we fall short, that we would trust in you, Lord, that we would submit our lives to you, Lord, there's no better master in this world. There are many masters in this world that claim for our attention, our affection, our life, Lord, and they all will let us down. But you are good, and you are a good master to us. Help us to submit to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.